0: Do you have any other kind of uh, niche interests?
1: Okay, I do have a new one. I have no idea where it came from, but um, I'm into cheese now. Cheese is good. As in, you know, making a nice a cheddar, a gouda, a mozzarella.
0: Oh, so you're actually making the cheeses? Okay. Yes. You just eat I cheese. I just eat them. Annie makes cheese. I know. <laughs>
2: Hello and welcome to the Soapbox Podcast. The podcast that gives you an insight into the people that do insight best. I'm Richard Brown, a research director at Box Clever. And I'm joined as ever by Tilly Lewis, our marketing manager.
0: So for our eighth episode, we are very pleased to welcome Annie Pettit. Annie is a market and social research strategist, teacher and writer. Annie, you are obviously well known within our industry. You've won awards. You've spoken at conferences all around the world. You have articles and books published. Thank you so much for taking the time out of your busy schedule to join us today. You are currently Chief Research Officer at E2E Research and uh, I believe you are joining us from Toronto today. Welcome.
1: Thank you for having me. <laughs> yes, I am in Toronto today but I'm a huge fan of UK in particular the history and the bakeries
0: <laughs> oh very very nice is there a particular um, bakery or baked good that you're a fan of Annie <laughs>
1: <laughs> all of them but in terms of bakeries I'll say anything that isn't a chain I love the the local we'll say mom and pop shops yep. bakeries. those are my favorite Very good. And so
0: a good way to start off, Annie, is if you could tell us, how did you end up in research?
1: For some reason, I was always interested in human behavior, human research. My sister went to university before me, and she would leave her course calendar printed books at home, and I would just rifle through these books and pick out all the courses that I thought were interesting. And they always landed up in the psychology section. So I ended up doing uh, a degree in psychology. And after that, ended up working in the government, uh, developing tests, personality tests, that sort of thing. But I noticed that if I was going to do research in marketing, the number of industries that I could work in was far greater than, than simply government. You know, it's consumer goods, technology, finance, healthcare, social, all kinds of different industries, not just government. So I, I wouldn't say quickly, but it was just a couple of years in the government. And after that, I moved into marketing research and really expanded my world of research. So
2: tell us a bit about what you're up to now, Annie. Tell us about uh, E2E, please.
1: Sure. We are a uh, full service market research company doing project planning, questionnaire design analysis reporting from end to end. But the part that I love the most is building engaging questionnaires. So you know, typically questionnaires are question answer question answer just text after text after text. But the great thing is we have tools to make them more engaging. So inserting not necessarily gamification, it's not gamification, it's playful games. So turning individual questions from text into little pieces of fun activities. So hot air balloons going up and down, mountain climbing, little sports games. There's, there's so many ways you can make a traditional text question into something much more interesting. So I love making the research experience for our participants much more engaging than what they're typically used to seeing.
2: And it'll sound like a daft question to somebody like you, but why would you go to that trouble, that effort to make a questionnaire engaging? What do you feel you're getting from that?
1: Well, first of all, it's no trouble at all because we have the tools in place and it's basically just pick and choose which which kind of fun, playful game you want to use. But aside from that... There are massive benefits to to creating questionnaires or research in general that is more engaging, more interesting. Completion rates are higher. Engagement is higher. People are actually reading and paying attention to the questions, paying attention to their answers. And what I love the most is by the time we get to the end of the questionnaire, hopefully everyone has an open end at the other end of the questionnaire that basically says, is there anything else you'd like to share, whether about this topic or about this survey in particular, we regularly see people commenting along the lines that this was the best questionnaire ever, which means they're going to look forward to the next questionnaire, they're going to want to participate the next time. And that's just a huge help for response rates, which typically just get worse and worse and worse every year. This is one, from my perspective, easy thing we can do to keep the response rates stable and improving which is good for all of us
0: Mm, i think as an industry we've noticed it's a bit of an issue isn't it um
1: (laughs) it's been (laughs) an issue for decades (laughs) we've complained about engagement for decades about data quality for decades and and it's all talk 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 we're gonna do much better now well just do better (laughs) yeah
2: well i think you get off lightly arguably in, in qualitative research because if your question isn't engaging or doesn't make sense you just ask it again in a different way. But of course, in a survey, you get one shot <laughs> and one shot with a thousand, two thousand people. So you get it wrong, you get it wrong big time. Mm. So it is obviously crucial to, to make sure that it is engaging and that you are asking it in the right way and, um, and all the rest of it. So if your questionnaires day in, day out are fantastic, it makes me wonder, can you pull out from all of your years the greatest moment that you've had in research or the greatest insight that you've come across?
1: Uh the greatest insight in research or the greatest insight of my career? So they're very different questions and I can I can talk about a whole bunch of different things. I I'm, I'm gonna switch away from research itself and think of career-wise. The biggest insight of my career. It's more um more related to personal growth in terms of volunteering gets you very far. I know it has nothing to do with research in general, but we see a lot of people in the research industry, they wanna do more, they wanna advance more, they want to achieve, You know, move on to director, move on to VP, move on to bigger, better projects, more fun projects, and they wait and they hope. And that's just absolutely not the way to move ahead. The way to move ahead is to put your hand up and say, let me try that research project. Let me lead that project. I will volunteer for this team, for this presentation, for this uh, webinar. Always volunteer to do the things that will help you get closer to your goal. That's been my personal insight. Don't wait to be asked. Make things happen for yourself. Push your own career forward.
2: I'm glad that that's the direction you went with that. Because initially I thought, volunteer, i.e. work for no money. I don't fancy <laughs> that, but you took it in Well, a, in I a, do a, that a, too. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, all right. You know, I thought that you probably did. Um, go on, tell us about your your, your voluntary work then.
1: Well, there's two categories of that. Obviously, there's the work-related stuff. So I do help out with the ISO 20252 research standards, the global research standards. I help out... Uh, the Certified Analytics and Insights Professionals of Canada, which is our new certification board. But then separate from that, I have a few other things that I do in terms of volunteering. One is um, related to playing music for people who have dementia. So if you haven't heard, (laughs) I play ukulele. I'm not that great, but I'm good enough to play so that uh, older people can sing along to the tunes they know. So uh, we haven't had that in person for a while because of the pandemic, but I'm eagerly waiting for that to start up again. I do another bit of volunteer work also for a music group. It's a a music school, um, Avenue Road Music School here in Toronto. They do music school uh, programs for kids, adults, events, the goal being to increase access to people who wouldn't normally have access to music at all. So there's a library where you can borrow rent, musical instruments that maybe you can't afford otherwise. So those are the the couple of the places that I help um, in my spare time.
0: I had read actually that you uh, played the ukulele, Annie, and um, I was curious to know, how did that passion start?
2: Yeah, what makes you pick up a ukulele and think, you know what, (laughs) let's do this.
0: I mean, I love it and I love the sound of a ukulele, but yeah, how how did that start for you?
1: Yeah, so I I grew up like a lot of kids with uh, piano lessons. I learned flute and recorder, so there's music in my background. The thing is, I love an orchestration. I love melody, I love harmony, I love instruments working together. And there aren't very many um, piano orchestras, and there really aren't a lot of choices uh, in terms of playing the flute in an orchestra just for fun. So I was looking around for any kind of music group, what could anybody possibly want? What could I just pick up and learn so that I can be part of a music group? And I came across a ukulele group. They got together once a week. And at the time it was over a hundred people every single week who would just collect and play. So in that hundred people, some of them were true professionals members of orchestras some played music on tv actors on tv some big name people in the group and then a whole bunch of people just like me who learned three chords and just wanted to (laughs) wanted to join in the fun so that was my into playing with the group I just went to the store grabbed a uke and started playing and it's been great the rest was history (laughs) the rest is history
2: did I misunderstand? You went to a ukulele group and there was that yeah. like Hollywood like Ryan Reynolds is there <laughs> with a the ukulele.
1: I wouldn't say Ryan Reynolds, but the I couldn't think Toronto- of another Canadian.
2: That was the problem. <laughs> under pressure.
1: Oh, come on. <laughs> under pressure. <laughs> so, can you tell us a bit
0: about, you know, your life in Canada? Were you, were you born in Canada, Annie? Oh,
1: so you'll enjoy this. My grandparents grew up in Scotland and they lived in Paris. I was born in London. And raised in Cambridge, so that sounds pretty familiar, right? Mm-hmm. I would it does. think. Except all of those are just towns in southern Ontario. <laughs> <laughs> so, so That's I love to tell switch. people. I,
0: I remember this. There's a, there's also a Halifax as well. Yes. I'm to I just love the idea, when idea when that people
2: all... went over to another country and went mm, we'll just call it the thing we've just come from.
1: <laughs> what? Just come on. Yeah. So it's it's nice to tell people that, you know, I get all around uh, the UK, but really it's just like a 100 kilometre square section of, <laughs> of Southern Ontario. Yeah, so I would say pretty typical, you know, play outside until the streetlights go on sort of upbringing in uh, Cambridge.
0: Mm. <laughs> any, apart from obviously playing the ukulele, do you have any other kind of uh, niche interests
1: Okay, I do have a new one. I have no idea where it came from, but um, I'm into cheese now.
0: Cheese is good.
1: As in, you know, making a nice cheddar, a gouda, a mozzarella.
0: Oh, so you're actually making the cheeses? Okay. Yes. You
2: just
1: eat cheese. I just
2: eat them. Annie makes cheese. I know.
1: It takes a whole day of babysitting a pot stirring pressing salting brining that whole thing about a whole day to get just a 20 centimeter 30 centimeter round of cheese it's a it's a lot of just sticking around the kitchen for that but you know in a few days or several months you get the loveliest round of cheese
0: (laughs) wow i am impressed how do you have time for this annie with all that you do as well
2: just imagine that this it's, cheese stewing or whatever cheese does playing the ukulele.
1: Yeah. <laughs> there are, I think, four cheeses aging in the fridge aging. right now. <laughs> I'm not full on into cheese because I don't have a separate wine fridge dedicated to cheese like a lot of folks do. <laughs> but Maybe I'll get there someday. Yeah, there's about four or five just waiting a few months in there now.
2: This could have gone differently, where instead of being like, oh, cheese is good, but you meant just buying it and eating it from the shop, you could have said, and have you got a separate fridge? And Annie's like, no, and you're like... I'm an absolute amateur. I thought you were were serious about cheese. Let's not ask any more cheese questions. What inspires somebody to go from eating cheese to making cheese, Annie?
1: This is a very important question, and I think we should spend a good 20, 30 minutes on this. (laughs) The only inspiration I have is... Some of my family lives near an actual cheese factory, and you can go there and get curds that were made literally an hour ago. And if you've had fresh curd before is the most fantastic, squeakiest, most delicious cheese. But you can only get it if you live right near a factory. So if the factory is your own kitchen, it means you can have curd cheese anytime you want, right? Correct. So <laughs> Live in the Tree so, Exactly. You're bringing the, the factory
0: to you, basically.
1: Yeah, first. So, you know, if you need any, I'm doing an Isomar uh, workshop shortly, but if people want me to do a cheese workshop, mm. you know, you set aside a whole day and we'll um, we'll do some cheese. Do
0: you use your cheese for pooting? Is that the correct pronunciation?
1: <laughs> uh, yes, it is. But... Uh, Poutine is kind of a waste of curd cheese. You know, if you're going to put it on fries and gravy, you're just kind of muddling the flavors together. Yeah. Just have the cheese. Okay. A bowl of cheese instead of fries, gravy, and cheese.
0: You've heard that from a Canadian, everyone. So. (laughs)
1: I'm (laughs) I'm not a Quebecer, so I I can say this. If I was from Quebec, there's no way I could say just have the cheese.
0: (laughs) So Annie, obviously we're from um, a company called Box Clever and we are all pretty much food obsessed, aren't we?
2: I think some more than others. Yeah. We certainly managed to turn every podcast into a good chat about food and you've, you've led the way with, with cheese.
0: I think we might <laughs> just welcome. have Annie on every single time, basically. <laughs> Can you talk us through your ideal breakfast?
1: This is ideal, not reality. Okay, right that's fine that's so, fine yeah so it's a big so, block of cheese
2: and bradley cooper right?
1: <laughs> well actually it's not going to include cheese it must include bacon i I think this is like a universal breakfast must be bacon then it needs nanaimo bars do you know what that is
0: no i don't i'm afraid
1: Oh, it is your loss. Um, the <laughs> next time, <laughs> the next time you come to Canada, you're absolutely gonna have to try that. It's basically uh, a square. The bottom is like a a layer of chocolate coconut. Then there's a layer of custard cream, and then there's a layer of chocolate on top. Basically, my number one dessert. So we got bacon. We've got a Nanaimo bar, and I'm gonna drink all that down with um, freshly squashed um, melon
0: cantaloupe
1: melon. Nice. Yeah, that's my breakfast.
0: And this where would the setting be?
1: Oh, let's put me on um Lady Elliot Island on the Great Barrier Reef. Nice. That's, yeah, that's good. That's what yeah. I'll take. What well, great place eat bacon? Beach, <laughs> off beach snorkeling is with bacon. Come on. Yeah. <laughs>
2: Some of these questions that we're asking make it sound like it was only half an hour ago that we heard of this place called Canada. But in Canada, is it cookies or is it biscuits?
1: Cookies are the little sweets that you, like an Oreo cookie. Uh Oh, I don't know if I can say chips ahoy cookie, if that means anything. A chocolate yeah. chip yeah, cookie. Yeah, yeah, chips ahoy. It's a cookie. A biscuit would be more like a, a tea biscuit, a scone, mm. a little bread. Hmm.
2: Like chicken and biscuits. And,
1: yeah, and this, and this exactly ad. that. Yes. Right, because
2: we're we, obviously in the UK, there's a massive tradition for what we call biscuits, which is, you know, rich teas and digestives and all of that. However you want to answer this question and interpret this word, we will come to your massive faux pas around biscuits. But Annie, what it's is fine. your what is your favourite biscuit?
1: It's cookies, by the way. Stop saying biscuits. <laughs> 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 um, a Shortbread dipped in chocolate. Mm. You know, Ooh. just the top layer or just the bottom layer, not the whole thing. You really want to still taste the, the shortbread. Yeah, that's my favorite. Oh,
0: good answer.
2: I mean, there's some heavy hitters in, in what Annie likes. The whole things of cheese, bacon through a snorkel, <laughs> shortbread and chocolate. There's, there's nothing. I, like,
1: I have a problem with sugar and it shows very much. <laughs> <laughs> Annie, back
0: to research. Really? Sorry, I was going to ask about
2: crisps. Anyway, go on. We
1: can, we'll
0: go back to food shortly, but we thought I better ask some research questions. I would like to know, Annie, if you hadn't got into research, what do you think you might have ended up doing?
1: So, yeah, directly back into research, um, archaeology.
0: <laughs> nice. <laughs> I
1: mm. to- totally would have gone into archaeology. I just love the idea of. Ancient people going about their daily lives, doing everyday human things, exactly the same way we are doing our daily things. And them thinking back to, same thing 2000 years ago, what they thought were ancient people. And then 2000 years ago, what those people thought were ancient people. And we're all doing the same kind of thing, living our lives, chatting with friends, seeing family, Eating at other places. We're just all doing regular, normal things. But, you know, 2,000 years apart, 5,000 years apart, the experience is just completely different, but it's totally normal. This is today. This is how we do our things. I, I find it fascinating. Uh, and I would love to just drop back into that world 10,000 years ago and just be in the life of, of every day. It would be amazing.
0: It would be a good job, and I actually could see you doing it as well.
1: Yeah, you think about Pompeii and how the the stores are still there, and you can imagine the person behind the counter dishing out the the soup or stew or whatever. You know, they still have those kitchens and the living rooms and the bathrooms. They still have all those pieces of the buildings that you could just imagine yourself being in there doing your everyday thing. It's amazing.
2: Mm, well, I don't know whether you heard about this, whether this came through to Canada, but because the UK is, you know, so ancient, they do things like they dig up car parks in Leicester and they find the remains of a, of an English king, and they're like, <laughs> oh, oh, we're supposed to be putting a Tesco here, and now we, calm, we, as we can't we find another do it. bloody king. <laughs>
1: <laughs> so, in in your case, it's absolutely everywhere. You, you know, you, you dig anything anywhere, you're going to find something. So, I do watch all of those shows um, when I can find them. And I, anything that comes up on my social, I watch it. Here in North America, it's very different because our history didn't really survive. So, our, our native people were nomadic. They moved around. They used a lot of... Um, wood and fabric natural materials that just don't survive. So when there are instances of something remaining, so earthworks or chunks of wood in suspicious places. It's like I I perk up so quickly because there are so few instances of of that. It's just amazing to find it. What we do have a fair amount of in North America is uh petroglyphs. So writing or carving on stones. Not painting of the stones necessarily, but more carving of imagery on the stone. So I I watch all of that.
2: You see, it's different here, I think. If you're you know, you've got some builders at the back digging a patio and they find a Roman mosaic, you just like cover that.
1: Cover yeah. that. Here's I want concrete. that extension doing Yeah, we don't another, yeah, I don't want another <laughs>
2: we've got enough of them. Just get the concrete that down before
1: <laughs> my dream I would just love to <laughs> to find anything, <laughs> I guess I'm gonna have to move to Europe.
2: Right, crisps. I I, I really want to ask a question about crisps or, or chips. Is it crisps or chips in Canada?
1: It's chips. There is nothing. Crisps isn't a noun for anything here. It's chips. Right. And the answer is dill pickle, um, not ruffled.
2: Oh. Mm. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah. And what so, flavour?
2: Because, I mean, I am not patriotic, but. We have got the best crisps. Right. Oh, come uh, on. Chips, right? There's no question about that. Particularly in comparison to Europe, where everything seems to be like ready salted or paprika. But what about Canada?
1: Paprika isn't a flavor. There is no flavor there.
2: I agree. I, I think it's ridiculous.
1: Yeah. So dill pickle is the correct answer.
2: Oh, that's the, okay. Dill, I'm with pickle. dill pickle. Wow, that's a good, can- strong choice.
1: Oh, yeah. Yeah, that's my number one. There, there's also ketchup here. I'm pretty sure you guys don't have ketchup.
2: Well, we did for a bit. And then it's all faded, didn't it? Ketchup flavor.
1: Yeah, you don't see them that that often, do you?
2: Walkers did it.
1: Yeah, Walkers did. I liked them. There's another one called All Dressed, which supposedly is basically every flavor on the one chip. And it's also really good. Have you had All Dressed?
2: Mm. No. This is a revelation, all of this, isn't it?
0: Yeah. Uh, yeah, we need to we need to go to Annie's house is what we need to do. Yeah. <laughs>
2: Straight on the next flight to Canada.
1: So on those lines, do you know what a coffee crisp is?
2: No, but do tell us more.
1: Yeah, please. It's a chocolate bar. So if you're a fan of coffee, mm-hmm. get yourself a coffee crisp chocolate bar or candy bar. I guess in the US they call them candy bars. There's a few chocolate bars you can only get in Canada or online if you're so inclined. But coffee crisp is the number one that most people are very excited about
0: coffee crisp we'll have to look i'm gonna i'll speak to my friend from canada i'll make sure i call him tonight (laughs) (laughs) i'll get him to send one over
2: he would be like how are you but yeah yeah yeah
1: (laughs) coffee crisp and some all-dressed chips okay (laughs) done
2: but uh, this is so enjoyable though because when we were kids growing up in england and we were consuming so much American TV and films, of course, you'd see all this stuff, all these brands that you just couldn't get. Even if maybe you lived in like big cities, like, like you know, you couldn't get that stuff. And gradually, thankfully, globalisation, it happened. We got it and we've got all that, that stuff now. So to hear about products that you not only haven't tried, but you haven't even heard of, I'm excited. It
1: is exciting. Yeah. I'll lay one, one more on you. A butter tart?
0: Oh No.
2: That sounds like an old English insult. I'll
1: have to remember that.
2: (laughs) I'm afraid, sir. Your wife-to-be is nothing but a butter tart.
1: (laughs) I'm not sure. Yeah, I'm not sure how to take that. (laughs) But I might use it. I might use that. It's it's basically a a small pecan pie without the pecans. Think of it that way. So that Mm. ooey-gooey part of the pie. But as a little tart you've sold it to me
2: sounds more like it could be a compliment now doesn't it yeah (laughs) she was an absolute butter tart
0: (laughs) what's next for you um annie you'd like be that in yourself or in your career
1: i've had i would say the same strategy throughout my career which is kind of no strategy as long as i'm enjoying what i'm doing then that's good Um, If something else comes up, a new opportunity, a new project, a new whatever, as long as it's something I would enjoy, then it's fair game. So I really don't know what could be next. I have zero plans for what could be next. I'm having a a good time with work right now. So full steam ahead. See how things go. It
0: sounds like a good strategy to me.
1: It works for me so far.
2: Well, thinking about not having a strategy and not being too linear in the way that your life goes, have you had any, I guess what people call sliding doors moments, you know, where something has has happened and it's changed your direction and you've just been like, wow, what a moment that, maybe at the time or in hindsight, you know, what a moment that was for me.
1: I do have one, which is, which I never really clued into till, of course, years afterwards, I had started work for a startup. It was called Conversation. It was later acquired by uh, Research Now, which is now Dynata. But, anyways, the startup was an hour and a half commute from my house. So, an hour and a half there, an hour and a half home. That was basically three hours every day wasted sitting on the bus, doing absolutely nothing, getting bored out of my mind not enjoyable so what I ended up doing is starting a blog just sitting on the bus I would think of it was basically a a list of rants but I didn't write them as rants (laughs) I I would notice why do people keep doing this well let me write a blog post about how to do that better so on the bus I just write that little blog post it might be three four hundred words it's like a brand new blog post every single day on some different aspect of research. You know, three hours on the bus, what else am I going to do? So new blog post every day. And over time, people actually started to read it, pay attention to it, remember who I was. And it really created a lot of personal brand awareness that helped my career over time that allowed me to be in a position where I can say, let's see what the next cool thing is. Uh, So I, I regularly tell people, if you want your career to go somewhere, consider writing a blog. Now, it doesn't have to be a blog, but the point is, do something publicly that people in your industry can see. So it could be doing webinars, it could be writing content on LinkedIn, it it could be anything that lets other people in the industry see who you are. really progressed my career and it can progress other people's careers as well.
0: Where would you find your inspiration for your blogs every day? Yeah, where would it stem from?
1: A lot of it was just what I had experienced the day before. Mm -hmm. Here's a problem I encountered during work here is an issue I saw somebody talk about on LinkedIn just anything could be the inspiration you know and being at the beginning of a blog I had my entire career up to then of all the issues I'd encountered on a regular daily basis the things people had trouble doing didn't understand needed some help with. So many things had just accumulated up to that point that it was basically an endless supply of topics. And then once you do start posting and people start chatting with you, they pose questions to you, you try to help them out. Well, if I'm going to help them out, I might as well turn that help into a blog post and help some other people as well. It's just, you know, snowballing effect to one topic generates 10 more topics, that sort of thing. This is
0: a quite a nice one. I feel like Annie will answer this really well. If there is one person that you would like to thank or say sorry to, who would it be and and why?
1: There are tons, tons of thanks out there. I'll name the, the two women that I worked with at Conversation, Tessie Ting and Jean Davis. At that part of my career, still very early in my career, I was still very quiet. Didn't really say too much, do too much publicly other than that blog and I could look to them to see what a senior person in market research and in particular a woman I was just lucky that it was two women how they behave how they work on a day-to-day basis so the two of them would speak their mind demand what they needed insist on getting what they needed they didn't hold back or back down for anybody now I would. I, you know, you could walk all over me all you wanted, but they were two fantastic examples, mentors of how to behave in the workplace in a professional way, being strong and forward women. I think about them regularly, like at least once a month, I think back to, I need to stand up like Jean did, like Tessie did. So huge thanks to them for Helping me see what a, a strong person in the business world can be.
2: And I'll bet there's plenty of people, Annie, that if we were to ask them that uh, question would name you yeah. as the person that they think of and try and replicate, you know, attitudes or or behaviors. We've got like one minute left, and I haven't asked half the questions I wanted to, but Annie, I wondered if there was anything that we hadn't asked you that you were like, Oh, I've got such a great story or answer. Mm. I wish they'd asked me that, you know, like oh what I missed a opportunity.
1: We like putting the pressure on, don't Well, it's we? not pressure, <laughs> is, know, it. only, if, only if there is. Otherwise, I'm just going
2: to ask you if you believe in aliens or ghosts or something.
1: <laughs> I don't have something, but you can ask okay. me about aliens if you really want to. I don't...
2: <laughs> I am more interested in ghosts than aliens. Annie, do you believe in ghosts?
1: Ghosts. Okay. So, this is a very serious question that also requires a lot of careful thought and discussion. But I'm going to have to say Yes. I believe in ghosts. Now I know that sounds really weird, but I I take the stance of, I am not that arrogant to think that I know everything about everything. Science is you need to prove things exist. I can't prove ghosts don't exist. I can't prove ghosts do exist. So I don't know. The only thing I can say is, okay, they do exist because i can't prove otherwise and i'm not smart enough to prove otherwise i don't have any data to prove otherwise so i'm just going to say i'm not smart enough to prove that they do exist so they exist same for aliens there has to be something else out there i don't know i just haven't seen it
2: but the acknowledgement i'm going to make this about research the acknowledgement that you don't know everything right right and that there's that, you, that there's plenty that you don't know is the foundation of of insight
0: mm
1: Exactly. That's why you
2: do it, because you recognise that there's things happening out there that you need to understand better to do what you need to do, that you don't know it all.
1: Exactly. And science is the way.
2: Well, I was going to say qualitative research. but um... <laughs> uh,
1: my, my bad. I meant to say qualitative research is the way. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Basically, we need to do a project on aliens and ghosts,
0: don't we? <laughs>
2: oh, I, d- I have been thinking about, it, especially at the end of a questionnaire, so you can get some really robust answers. You've asked a question about, you know, like... Um, buses or something and the, the end is just like do you believe in ghosts and why <laughs>
1: <laughs> i think annie could add some really cool bits to make it engaging yeah, yeah. as right. well exactly you? <laughs> that that is one in into a more playful questionnaire ask about ghosts and aliens if uh if a ghost was watching you at the store what would they see you doing that the the shopkeepers don't see you doing you know there's mm. all kinds of ways to make a boring question far more interesting
2: yeah, and it makes for a fantastic debrief, doesn't it? And just before we leave you, yeah. we did ask a question about ghosts.
0: <laughs> you could dress up as one to deliver the debrief yeah. as well.
1: That's very professional. Yeah, the insights
2: around around Diet Coke were actually not very interesting, but what we found about ghosts
1: was actually fascinating. Ghosts love Diet Coke. <laughs>
0: yeah. Annie, and on a serious note, thank you so much for joining us today and taking time out of your... Busy schedule. We're very grateful and we thoroughly enjoyed ourselves. So
1: thank you. I'm very happy to join you. Thanks for having me.
2: So there you have it. It's not all making cheese in your kitchen, playing the ukulele and finding ghosts. There's so much more to insight than that.
0: well, what an episode. And on our next episode, we're joined by Lucy Davison, who is the founder of Keen as Mustard Marketing. Uh, She is a strategy and communication expert with over 30 years experience in b2b marketing we must say a massive thank you to annie for taking time out of her busy schedule of uh, making cheese to be with us today we do hope that annie had as much fun as we did as always we'd love to hear from you so do get in touch with us via our twitter account at WeBoxClever, or you can email us on tidylewis at boxcleverconsulting.com so if you've got a question about market research, cheese, ghosts, or you just want to talk about food, please get in touch. Thank you for Do listening. Do you think she
2: made a lot of that up? She was like, I'll just tell these Brits about random things that don't exist in Canada and they'll lap it up.
0: Yeah, probably. No such
2: thing as most of that stuff.
0: What was that, coffee, Chris?
2: Yeah, you made it up.
0: Yeah, and we're going to be the ruddy idiots to go look it up now. <laughs>